This season four premiere rewatch of Game of Thrones is sponsored by our friends over at True Car. Now, if you're looking to buy a car, you're probably familiar with terms like MSRP. You might even know what it stands for. But what does it actually mean? The same goes for invoice, list price and dealer price. It's enough to confuse anybody. All you're really looking for is a price that actually means something. That's why there's True Price from True Car. Now you can know exactly what you'll pay for the car that you want, including the fees and the accessories before you even go to the dealership. And a True Car dealer will show you the true price on cars like the one that you want, all from the comfort of your home. And how do you know if your true price is a great price? Because True Car will show you what other people paid for the same car that you want. And your certified dealer knows this. So they set their true price competitively so they can win your business. So when you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features are not available in all states. Winter was here, but we are just getting started here on the season four premiere rewatch of Game of Thrones here on Post Show Recaps. And now here are the two guys who are ready to eat all the chickens. Damn! I'm Rob Sestrini. Here's Josh Wiggler. Josh, how are you? Oh my God, I am Oh, I have the bird flu now. I am a bird because of all of the chickens that I have consumed. Every single chicken in this inn, it was a tall order, but we did it. Mm, You're a talker. He's a mm-hmm. talker. And I know. Make me thirsty. We would not get on well with uh, the the hound. I think Sandor Clegane would not be fans of you or I. No, but when he says talkers are getting him thirsty, how does he mean? Um, I don't know. Like, like he's like thirsty to kill us. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, do you think that the hound will find love in season eight? Um, in season eight, yeah, I was about to just like come up with some sort of like fake elaborate spoiler about how he comes up, uh, you know, in like season six, the we hound will fall no spoilers, in love. Josh. We're not up to the spoiler I section. I know, and that's what I realized. There is no spoiler section. Ha-ha. It's it's gone. The spoiler section is gone. The the first major casualty of the Winter Was Here <laughs> podcast, the spoiler <laughs> section. It's done. It's finished. You are in the spoiler section. This whole thing is the spoiler section. So if you are listening to this and you are a first time watcher of Game of Thrones and you've been following along, we have we we have a litany of podcasts that you can go and listen to. We started podcasting about Game of Thrones live as it was airing, starting with season four. So we've got podcasts from season four through season seven that you can seek out. But Winter Was Here is officially a place only for people who have watched Game of Thrones already. We will probably like, you know, deliver like a similar warning or two in the next couple of episodes just to clear the decks. But those days are done. And here's what we'll do. Here's what we'll do. If you are looking for this, if you're still here, I mean, really, you're living dangerously, but you can go to postshowrecaps.com slash G-O-T 401 to hear the original version that Josh and I recorded after we watched Two Swords back in 2014. How about that, Josh? Is that fair? Yes, that is more than fair. Uh, I'd be curious. To, I mean, I've got absolutely no time to do it, uh, but I'd love to go back and listen to what we what we had said once upon a time. If somebody wants to like compare and contrast and just like whatever takeaways you've got, I'd be very very interested. Yeah. Okay. So go ahead and you can check that out in our archives on Post Show Recaps. You can hear the the original version of our Two Swords podcast, which was uh, way back when on April 6th, 2014. My God, four years ago, more than four years ago at this point. Yeah. Look at what our lives have become. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Not great. Spoiler alert. Uh, Yeah, it was on. uh, (laughs) Oh, it was a video, too. On YouTube. Yeah. Oh, my God. We used to do like the Google Hangs and stuff, and I'd get very nervous. Yeah. And I'd have to like shower that day. Yeah. And we'll, get dressed. Something like this. Game of Thrones season <laughs> four has just, or season four premiere has just ended, but we're oh, just getting started it. here on Game of Thrones live on post show recaps. And now here are the two guys who are balancing their microphones to see 
who can get the oh, okay. that was podcast a good one. up in the front with uh, the Khaleesi, uh, Rob Cicerino <laughs> and Josh Lindley. Josh, how are you? Happy Game of Thrones premiere. Oh, my God. Happy Game of Thrones premiere, Ooh, Rob. that I'm so mic excited. quality. I'm very happy to be here. I'm going to keep my microphone on because I want people to hear me because I'm so excited about this show. So you yeah, can win. Uh, yeah. I, I think we're that, still that's excited. Fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, and I don't feel like much has changed. Like, the audio quality increases, but in terms of, like, the setups and, like, the quality of the jokes, yeah. it's about... It's pretty even. It's like... It's it's, it's truly like we've been sitting cross-legged across from each other, holding a microphone in our hands since that very moment. Yeah. Okay. So that is at plusyourrecaps.com slash G-O-T-4-0-1. Okay. So uh, Josh... We I- also, by the way, we just have to incorporate the introduction of our original podcast into every single one of these Winter Was Here podcasts moving forward. Sure. <laughs> sure. You want to hear the <laughs> that's original a, intro? Yeah. That's a, new, that's a new hallmark. That's definitely a new thing we got to do What we'll do is then we'll recap the... <laughs> recap at the end. <laughs> All right. That's the new spoiler section. That's for the spoiler section. We won't spoil the recap for you. All right. Uh, so Josh and I are going to go through everything here as we go through all the different scenes here from season four. And of course, we could talk about what has happened and transpired uh, since then. And we got a cold open and it's uh, uh, it's uh, really a ice open. cold. Ice cold because yeah. it's ice on the table. Yeah. As we are melting down the Stark family sword ice is now becoming two swords uh tywin is melting it down yeah one two swords stand before you is this a wand off for (laughs) 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 yeah he's turning uh lord eddard stark's sword ice which we have not seen in a while the comically large sword as uh tywin lannister will basically say in just a moment uh he is turning it into two different swords we know that one of them is going to be going over to jamie lannister in just a minute and then the other sword widow's whale oh my god this i feel so free just like saying that it's gonna go to joffrey who's gonna be dead in an episode from now and then what happens to widow's whale yeah yeah uh Widow's Whale. Who gets Widow's Whale? I don't know. Tommen? Yeah. Somebody. Somebody has Widow's <laughs> Whale eventually. Uh, but yeah, so this is a, it's a, it's a cool scene. Like this is, I love this because we know that season four, you know, entering season four, we have uh, like a really strong, powerful position for the Lannisters. They have just enacted the Red Wedding. They have defeated the Starks. This is a really evocative way of symbolizing and visually representing the victory over the Starks. It's not just the destruction of Ned Stark's iconic weapon and turning that now into not just Lannister weapons, but a sword that is meant for the worst Lannister by far, for Joffrey. What a mockery of the memory of Ned Stark, but also throwing the direwolf pelt into the fire. Uh, it's just, it's hard to watch if you're a Stark fan, um, but it's 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 cool to watch as well in the knowing of what the season four arc is for the Lannisters, namely that things are not going to go very well for these guys. Yeah, but this episode really does a great job of setting up all of the different storylines that are going to be going on in the season. And, really, you know, all the premieres do that. But it sets things up in a pretty interesting way. There's not a lot of just like wasted, boring setup exposition here in this premiere. So overall, this is a pretty good episode. Oh, this is a fantastic episode. Uh, this is the best season premiere by far, I think. Uh, certainly through the Four Seasons and uh, the Four Seasons Hotel. And, and I don't know. I'm sorry. Uh, it's the it's the best through Four Seasons for sure. And I, I think that it's the it's the best of of all of the premieres. Uh, I yeah. think that just so much is happening in this one. So many great scenes. Uh, you know, Tywin Lannister looking like a mob boss here. Uh, the whole thing with the Hound and Arya getting into the action by the end of the episode, just top to bottom. It's, uh, it's so much great. King's Landing material. It's just, it's fantastic. Yeah. So we then get the opening credits to the show and then we come out of that and Jamie gets presented with the new Lannister Valerian steel sword. The Lannisters have never had, or they had it shortly, and then they lost it. And uh, you know, it's kind of an embarrassment for the Lannisters that they have all this money and everything, but the one thing they don't have is a Valerian steel sword. But now they have two. 
Now they've got two, uh, and one of them is in Jamie's possession here, and he, like, nearly stabs his dad with it mm-hmm. as he's, like, trying to, like, put it back in the sheath because he is missing a hand. Uh, the right hand, uh, literally the correct and right hand is gone, uh, and he is sheathing it with his, with his left, and he's just, he hasn't, uh, he hasn't gone to, to bronze school of, uh, sword training yet of how to, how to be a lefty sword fighter. Uh, so right now it's just, it's a bad look for for jamie lannister yeah and so tywin is talking to jamie and he's basically uh first off uh mourning the fact that jamie only has one hand now and now he has to use his left hand uh, for the sword and tywin reminds him uh you'll never be as good You'll never be as good. And he says, I just have to be better than the other guy. Uh, and so far, uh, you know, through seven seasons of the show, that has been working out for Jamie Lannister, that he has been, uh, you know, he's been in a few fights now that he is uh, a lefty. And it's it's worked out okay for him. Mm-hmm. And then he, Tywin has this uh, hot idea for Jamie about how you should go to Casterly Rock and be the Lord of Casterly Rock. And Jamie is like, but I don't want to be the Lord of Casterly Rock. Yeah, well, that's because he wants to uh, he wants to stay here and hang out with uh, with Cersei. You know, he's he's back. He's been in prison for years now and he is home and he's excited about being home. He wants to be with his sweet sister, who is also his uh, his his lady friend simultaneously. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a weird situation, but that's how he likes to do his things. And little does he know, as we will come to learn in this episode, that Cersei really wouldn't mind if Jamie went off to Casterly Rock. In fact, it sounds like she would prefer it. Yeah. And I do like the line where uh, Tywin is asking Jamie, what is it that you want? And he says, well, supper would be nice. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. A, it's a that's a really funny line. Uh, yeah. And he's not wrong. Like just, you know, it seems like that time of day, like the, the way the soft light is falling into the room. It seems like it is. It is the eve. Yeah. Uh, we see Tyrion Lannister for the first time in season four. He's with Bronn and they are waiting the Prince Doran, the basically uh, the party from Dorne to uh, come in for the royal wedding. But uh, no Dr. Bashir, no Prince Doran. Instead, we get Prince Oberyn. Yes, we get uh, the Red Viper, uh, who has well, apparently we don't get him here. But. Right, he has already arrived. He is uh, he got in ahead of schedule. Uh, he is not here when when Tyrion and everybody are are there to greet the Dornish. And what an entrance for the Red Viper! Like uh, the opening scene for this character is really amazing and tells you so much about who this guy is and what he's all about. Uh, you know, he, he likes it his way. I like it my way. Is what he says. Uh, he is, you know, quick to the draw with a knife. Like he's super charismatic. He's got a bone to pick against House Lannister, and he's definitely going to be able to pull that off. Except, no, he's going to have his head crushed in about. <laughs> about eight episodes from now so i always loved that you know i've never had the experience in terms of the show only with the book of um you know what it's like to to see pedro pascal walk into the into the scene and and really own this character so immediately and so awesomely without knowing that he was also going to only be here for a short period of time but this character to me is like a a a mid-series phenomenal like example of what game of thrones does so well it just gives you these fully formed people who you who you love to love or you hate to love or you love to hate uh and and this guy's just like he's so dynamic and so singular and seemingly untouchable like seemingly just like a new sturdy main character and he's just gonna get rocked in (laughs) short order yeah and he comes in and he's at the brothel and uh, there's actually a funny line where they're trying to figure out uh, where he could be. And Tyrion asks Bronn, uh, you know, where would you be? He says, oh, I'd go to sleep, but, uh, you know, I'm getting old. Right. Yeah. That was a good line. Yeah. So uh, we see that the Red Viper and Alaria are doing some shopping at the brothel. Uh, who are they going to pick out? And they don't want anybody who's timid. No, timidness is not a quality that they are looking for. Shut up, timid people. Uh, 
Yeah, but Hilaria Sand is going to, she's going to pick somebody and she's going to be very happy about it. And then the Red Viper is going to pick Oliver to stay. Uh, Oliver's like, I'm not, a, I'm not for sale. And he's like, yeah, anything here is for sale. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, I'm a prince. Have you ever been with a prince before? Uh, and Oliver's like, oh, you know, that's a good point. Yeah, I actually haven't been with a prince. This seems nice. Now, who are these two douches that are singing the Reigns of Castamere for no reason when they're at a brothel? Just some Lannister goobers who are just singing their favorite song and, you know, about to get their party on. And little do they know that the world's number one uh, Lannister anti-fan is just around the corner. Yeah. You think that plays well? You think that uh, the women in the brothel want to hear Reigns of Castamere? Could we get what's like something like a little bit more upbeat? Yeah. What, like Baron the Maiden Fair. That's a little more upbeat, especially if you got like the rock version. Yeah, yeah. I mean, who are you impressing with Reigns of Castamere? It's also like it's very overplayed right now at this moment in Game right. of Thrones. Right, right. Maybe it was we've, we've get, even yeah, yeah. getting a lot of airplay right after the Red Wedding. It was like, uh, you know, on all the stations, everybody was playing it. It was like the hot song. It's really earworm. Yes. Right <laughs> for the third week in a row. Oh, my God. Reigns of Castamere. It really is the Westeros Wandoff happening in here. It's like the Waldoff is what we should Waldorf. call it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Prince Oberyn, he does not like Lannisters, Josh. He doesn't. Uh, you know, he will explain why to Tyrion in just a minute. You know, he goes through the, the vivid backstory of his sister was Rhaegar Targaryen's wife and uh, she and, and, her, and her children. Uh, they were they were all brutally killed by uh, by the Lannisters and specifically by Gregor Clegane, who we'll hear about a couple of times in this episode. So he's got every reason in the world to hate these people. Uh, and so he, you know, he seems like the kind of guy who is just like all hot fire. You know, not a lot of um, he's, he's very brave, much to his own detriment, uh, certainly in the long run. Uh, but in this moment, he is just putting, you know, faith into the fact that, like, I hate these people who are here at this table and I think I can take them. So I will. Mm-hmm. And he does. He puts a dagger through one of the guy's hands and explains that, look, your friend's going to bleed out. If I pull out this dagger, a lot of veins and arteries in the wrist. So think about how you want to do this. And then it's such a sitcom moment when Tyrion walks in. He's like, uh, Prince Oberyn, I, I wanted to get to you before there's any trouble. And then there he is with a knife through a guy's hand. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty comical. Uh, it's 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 just like a, a great sight gag that just like blood is just like spouting out mm-hmm. all over the place. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, right? I mean, the Red Viper's very first scene in Game of Thrones is very violent, and his final scene in Game of Thrones will be so much worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> brace yourself; it's gonna get nasty. And it goes right back to making out with Laria Sam. He does. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, like at first, like she seemed like kind of concerned about it. And then she's like, yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that she has the poison lips on right now? No, and, no, I don't and think the so. red viper has like built up an immunity, like Iocane powder immunity. Maybe, maybe. Uh, I guess we'll never know. Maybe. Uh, or we'll rubber see. lips. Rubber lips are immune to your charms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is an expert in poisons. He is. Yeah. I mean, the Dornish, they, they all are. Right. Like poison's like a real Dornish uh, trick. Yeah. And so he ends up giving Tyrion uh, the real backstory on everything uh, that was going on with his sister. And, uh, you know, about much like the Lannister, he also wants to uh, pay the debt and he sort of uh, resets the Ilya Martell side of the story where that was the sister. And then is it true that the mountain came in and then raped her? and split her in half and uh if that is the case then only tywin lannister could have given that order and Tyrion's like i don't know anything about that yeah and he probably doesn't he was he's you know a young guy at the time um 
probably not super keyed in on like the specifics of what happened. I believe him when he says I've heard the rumors. Um, so, you know, that's fine. I, I think it's again, just like another incredible demonstration of, uh, who the red Viper is in this very small moment that happens in this scene. I wondered if, if it had struck you the way it struck me is, uh, when, when Oberyn is trying to, you know, tell this story to Tyrion and Tyrion is kind of like looking down at his feet because the, details are so grisly he can't really like rise up to meet it and the red viper takes Tyrion underneath his chin and like tilts him up and that just feels like such like a show of like physical dominance over this guy of like really treating Tyrion in sort of this I'm bigger than you type of way which doesn't happen to Tyrion all that often he certainly gets shat upon by a lot of the people in his life but so often he's very confident and he has the upper hand on other people um, so I think that like just that general Mental, um, movement that like physical gesture I think is a is a really great way of once again shorthanding just how you know how powerful immediately the Red Viper is in this world. Yeah, and just uh, you know a great job of setting up his story where he comes in with all of this flash and he's such a big character, but also that sets up ultimately the thing that is going to kill him where yeah, his totally. suspicion about the murder of his sister, which is ultimately going to do him in when he battles the mountain. Yeah, I think in terms of like short burst characters in Game of Thrones, like somebody who doesn't last more than a season it's it's hard for me to think of a better character than than the Red Viper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, he really is great. He comes in with all of this flair and with so much color and then is gone by, what is it, the eighth episode of the season? The ninth episode? Yeah, yeah it's the eighth. Yeah. Uh, very exciting to watch here in season four, his eight episode arc <laughs> here. Danny is with bigger dragons. Dragons have grown a lot in these last couple of weeks since the end of season three. There's only a couple of ways of measuring time on uh, Game of Thrones, and it seems to be either dragons getting bigger or Bran getting bigger. Mm-hmm. Like that, those are like the things that let you know how much time has been passing. But the dragons have gotten bigger; they're they're acting fierce and ferociously. And Daenerys is a little uh, taken aback by and a little bit afraid. And Jorah shows up to be like, "They can never be tamed, Khaleesi, not mm-hmm. even by their mother." Yeah, well, since when are you the dragon expert, Jorah? And turns out he's right, though, you know? Like, I mean, like, they're, they, uh, there's that whole arc that's going to come up where Drogon's just like, no. You know, he's just going to be like, uh, he's going to be like a little Joffrey towards his mom mm-hmm. uh, and like fly away and not listen to her orders and all of that. So uh, eventually she's going to be able to get them back under control. But uh, there's, you know, the dragons are going to eat children. They're going to need to get locked up. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, Jorah, maybe he's just been like reading up on dragon lore. Yeah. He's just like dropping those pearls of wisdom because he's ultimately going to be correct. And we're going to have these two things going on simultaneously where Danny is going to be looking to free more people, give more people their independence, but also at the same time try to get the dragons to be better and better behaved to the point where she's going to ultimately cage up the dragons eventually. Josh, what do you think ultimately is the fate of the two remaining dragons in this story that we talked last time on the podcast about how you think that Daenerys is not going to make it. Do you think that the, all of the dragons will also perish or do you think that the dragons end up going off to live free at the end of the story? Oh my God. Yeah. Fly away. You're free. Uh, I don't see, I don't see that happening. Um, although like, I don't know, like, I think that there could be something to, uh, like Drogon making it and maybe Rhaegal doesn't make it. Um, but my inclination would be, I think probably, I think it's, it's very likely that we're going to lose all three. Don't you think? Yeah. And this is going to be it. Are they going to mate? I mean, Targaryens have been having uh, incestuous relationships for years, Josh. I don't think that we do. We know if uh, if they're uh, if if Drogon and uh, and Rhaegal are they boy and girl? Are they male and female? Are we uh, are we sure about the sex of the dragons? Well, we don't really know about how the dragons procreate. We should have consulted uh, a maester, so not Kyburn, mm-hmm. uh, before we uh, yeah, started digging like down into this. Cats. 
Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, Pycelle smells like dead cats. He smells, yeah, he smells very bad. Uh, I wonder what dead dragons smell like. Mm. We should ask the Night King. Yeah, probably like the Globster, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but Josh, I think it's interesting to think about what is going to be the fate of the dragons because I don't feel like that that's been explored too much. Yeah, I think the the fact that we uh, that we've lost one, um, you know, that is that is that impactful enough? And like, will it be will it be something of as as great of an impact if we're to lose the dragons later on in the show? Now that we already know what it felt like to lose one, so I, I don't know. It's that that one's a, a harder one to predict for me than uh, some of the characters. I think, like in terms of like, uh, don't ask me to don't ask me to rank which dragon uh, I think has a better shot of survival. No rankings, no rankings. It'd be a very difficult thing to do. Yes. Okay. Um, Josh, so Danny is having like a big meeting and she's like, hey, where is Grey Worm? Where is Dario? And we find out that they are off gambling. What? I found this to be incredulous here on the rewatch that Grey Worm would miss the big meeting. I mean, this seems very out of character for Grey Worm. Well, Grey Worm is just starting to figure out what it is like to be free. You know, he is, uh, he's got a job to do, um, but he is not, uh, Daenerys's slave. So if he is now allowed to explore what it means to have a good time, why not just let the guy have some yeah, fun? He's the captain of the entire Unsullied. Right. Right. But as such, he needs to get to know the other major soldiers in the army. And here he is meeting uh, Dario 2.0 for the very first time. Mm-hmm. So they have to they have to sit across from each other and get to know each other. He's like, why does your face look different? Mm-hmm. Where did your hair go? What happened? It's a good question. OK, uh, new Dario is here, Josh, in all of his bearded glory. How excited are you to have a second Dario here? So the I, I love this guy. I I, I do think ultimately, uh, just because he's the one that we're on the sh- that's on the show for such a such a larger period of time than original Dario. Even though I thought original Dario had some swagger, it was just so weird to see him. Like it was just so strange to see him. Um, considering that Michael Huseman is going to be the guy who plays this character for the rest of the time. That being said, like the transition is so awkward. Uh, there's just no graceful way of of doing this with the recasting you know when you see dario for the first time like if you had not followed what happened in the behind the scenes of game of thrones there's just no explanation whatsoever and everyone is just acting like everything is normal um it's just it's odd right like it's just sort of a strange thing like i'll i'll settle in and get used to it in short order i'm sure but even now on the rewatch it's just very strange to go from old dario to new dario with just no easy you into it at all right and they are doing some sort of survivor endurance challenge to see <laughs> yeah. who gets to ride next to danny and i don't know this just seems like a really stupid thing they're like on the pole for 16 hours mm-hmm. like this is the the longest endurance challenge in the history of survivor game of thrones yeah and danny comes over and shuts it down and says all right last person holding a sword has to go find a new queen Right, yeah, and so they both very Two quickly morons. Stop. Yeah, drop. You both drop. riding the back. <laughs> yeah, just grabbing them by the ears, basically. Uh, yeah, so they both drop the swords, and uh, that's it. Game over. Yeah. Okay. So then we see Sansa back in King's Landing, uh, and she is very sad. Won't eat. Very sad. Not eating. Still. Not even. Not even the lemon cakes. And she loves lemon cakes. Yeah. Come on, Sansa. Not even a pigeon pie, which ultimately <laughs> will. Is that the pie that uh, they cut into at Joffrey's wedding? I believe that's right. Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So Chekhov's pigeon pie. Yeah. Or I, or I kind of feel like that maybe it's not. This is pigeon pie, and then that's a different pie that they have there. I feel like that this is uh, tricky. It's like, yeah, it's like swallow pie. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Well, yeah. And well. so Tyrion comes in and uh, trying to cheer her up, and she's going through, you know, what they did to my brother, you know, what they did to my mom. And Tyrion is talking about how he really did admire her family. And even though. Cat Stark wanted to have Tyrion killed. She he admired her too. 
Yeah, he's being very nice. He's, you know, he's trying to trying to ease her into some state of acceptance with everything that has happened. Obviously, Sansa is in a bad way. I think that this uh, this episode does a pretty good job of handling some of the emotional fallout that is still there from everything that happened with the Red Wedding. Of course, we know that Sansa is going to have a lot more to deal with than, uh, you know, grieving this for too much longer. She's going to have to really start preparing herself have to grieve some other grievances that are that are coming her way uh but for this first episode like between this and like the john scene that's coming up a little bit later on uh and everything with Arya, i think that the way that the show immediately handles the surviving stark kids that we that we get to see here was was really really well done and she's gonna go hang out in the god's wood uh she's gonna be visited by sir dantos but more on that later shay shows up in Tyrion's quarters and she's i feel like has some mixed messages for Tyrion. Yeah, she's like, uh, I want you. Why don't you want me? I'm mad at you. And you tried to buy me off. And Tyrion's like, I didn't try to buy you off. She's like, you definitely tried to buy me off. You you disgust me. Get over here. Like, uh, ah. Yeah. Again, hot and cold. Right. (laughs) You know. Fire and ice. Ice and fire. (laughs) That's the story about all about following Shay. Yeah, it's a song of ice and fire in this very moment. And um, yeah, I mean, we know that in season four uh, that this is going to be the end for Shay. Uh, I'm excited about that mm-hmm. personally. Like, that's fine. That's that's going to be great um, in terms of just like moving on from this storyline. Uh, but I, I, I we are we, we should probably be trying to like put together like what's the moment that Shay is going to decide that she really is out on Tyrion or is she never going to be like actually fully out on Tyrion? And is it going to be like an extraordinary overreaction on Tyrion's part? Um, you know, is the, is the groundwork being laid for her leaving Tyrion and betraying him in this scene as, as you were watching it? Yeah. It's a good question. Honestly, I don't remember the different interactions they have in between now and her ultimate end at the end of the season. So we will have to watch any other times that they have together uh, next week. And I don't believe she comes and visits him in the, the jail cell. So is this it? Other than the um, the trial, uh, it could be. It very well could be. Yeah. Well, the thing that is looming large is the moment that Varys had with her in the previous episode where Varys tried to give her the diamonds. And uh, she says to Varys, if he wants me to leave, he can come and tell me himself. And she says to him here, so you want me to stay? And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't. Yeah. Say of course yeah. I want you to stay. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, so we know that Shay is like very stubborn. We know that she's very hard headed and we know that like once she gets an idea in her head, it's, it's hard to get it out. Like she's very convinced of her truth. Um, so maybe this is the moment, in fact, uh, where Tyrion doesn't say, yeah, I want you to stay. His silence there is confirming for her, her theory that Tyrion sent Varys to pay her off and send her away. So in this moment, maybe for Shay, it's like, I should have taken the money and left because there's nothing here anymore. And now that she's here, now that that deal is off the table, she has to figure out a new situation. And that's going to involve Tyrion's father. And maybe she even wants to, like, get back at Tyrion a little bit by by going with his father. And maybe it, it all really does stem from from this moment. I think that's interesting. So... We end up seeing Jamie get fit with his new golden hand uh, from Kyburn, who Cersei likes a lot more than Pycelle, as he does not smell like a dead cat like Pycelle. And, yes. Uh, but Cersei is cold to Jamie. She things are not even though Jamie is cleaned up, looking good, looking fresh. Uh, Cersei's not interested. I like the new Jamie Lannister haircut very much. Yeah. This is the the haircut that we're going to be rocking for the rest of Game of Thrones, if I recall. And Nikolai Costa-Waldo with the short hair, uh, getting a little bit away from like the medieval Sawyer look. Uh, I think it's a I think it's a good look. And even as he is freshened up, even as he is so fresh and so clean, clean, he is just swinging and missing with Cersei. Uh, it is just there. She is she is not she is not into it at all. Yeah. And, and he says one uh, thing to her about like, boy, you're uh, drinking a lot more. And it's like, well, you know, I've been 
been through a lot. And then she yeah. resets the whole thing. Talks about how Jamie came back with one hand and didn't even apologize. Yeah, you know, very stressful times right now, and I've been going through a lot, and you have just been out in the world doing whatever it is you're doing. He's like, I was in prison! Yeah. I was in prison! It's not like I was having a good time! Um, so yeah, so it's trouble in paradise you pretty immediately took here. too long. Yeah. yeah. We were on a you break! Took too long. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, you took too long. Yeah, and I it's don't going like people that get captured. Oh God, stop! That's what she says to him. <laughs> uh, Joffrey says that. Joffrey says that. But yeah, she says that's she more thinks, she thinks it too. She thinks it too. Yeah, yeah. But she, you know, the the whole like you took too long of it all. Uh, it's 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 certainly instructive uh, of this this dynamic that's going to be playing out between Jamie and Cersei across the series. It's going to take Jamie too long to realize that Cersei is toxic. You know, uh, like he's going to be devoted for her for a very long time uh, here on. And she was out on Jamie Lannister really, really early. Yeah. Uh, there's another funny sitcom moment where Jamie and Cersei are fighting and then uh, Cersei's handmaiden uh, knocks at the door and Jamie says, uh, go away. And Cersei's like, come in. <laughs> And yeah. she says, uh, you said knock at once if there's anything important. I wonder what sort of important news she has. Well, we see her when Shay is leaving Tyrion's room. We see her like watching mm-hmm. Shay leave. So uh, this is this must be the the transfer of that knowledge. Yeah, it's because stupid Shay had to go to Tyrion's quarters, and now they're finally busted. It was a bad choice. Not good. Not good. Tyrion said, "Don't come here," and she did it anyway. So she did not listen. Okay, uh, Egret is talking with Tormund and. Uh, that she is talking about John as if he may still be alive. And Torment says, hold on, you said that you shot him with three arrows. I've seen you be able to, you know, kill a rabbit from really far away. The only way he's still alive is if you wanted him to be alive. Right, yeah, and so like, the, is the loyalty a little bit tested here? The thing that you know we'll come to learn about Tormund is that he's he's an open-minded guy. He's an open-hearted guy, and if Egret, you know, uh, didn't kill Jon Snow, then like we we can work with that. We'll be okay. Uh, you know, Tormund's a Tormund's a good leader here. Yeah, and but oh wait, we have some visitors, and Josh, it's the stupid Thens. Man, the Thens. Uh, bad bad crop of dudes here, the Thens. These man-eating monsters. Uh, with a, That had to be a, a horrible job to play a Fen and to have like all of the, that like scar makeup applied every day. Uh, you have to play a character that like you must actively know nobody's going to like. Uh, Got to be a difficult gig to play a Fen. Yeah. A uh, lot of time with the Thens here in season four. Yeah, and a lot of it here in this scene is literally just talking about food. Mm-hmm. And by Eating food, people. I mean, yeah, cannibalism. Uh, like in like very like vivid details, like why do you think the meat here tastes so much better than on the other side of the wall? Everything here is fat and lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like, okay, you've really thought about this. I was like, yeah, you really got to try crow. And I'm not talking about the bird. I'm talking about the members of the yeah. Night's Watch. Yeah. Yeah, eat this disgusting foot yeah and they put like a, an arm on the fire and i was looking at it and it's like you guys didn't treat it at all like you didn't like at least like uh like marinate it no. like you're just like you didn't like skin it so like the uh, like the hair follicles are still on on the arm i guess those will probably burn off but yeah, like we don't need to explore it you could clean it mm-hmm <laughs> Like, if you're going to do it, do it well. Maybe they have, like, some really awesome marinade or barbecue sauce or something. Yeah, that just, like, Hot transforms sauce. anything. Yeah. Uh, do you think that they would cook it to a level that Joe Mena would appreciate? Mm-hmm. Or are they yeah, just, like, going to... Yeah. yeah. You got to cook that thing all the way through. Yeah, I think well that's, done. The, that's the trick with uh, cannibalism, from what I understand. You just got to, you know, cook it well enough that you don't know what it is. Yeah, well, you got to... If you watched Hannibal, 
the 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 NBC show RIP uh Matt Mickelson as Hannibal he was he was very creative in terms of the dishes he was making i think that the thens need to invest in a cook in a chef of uh Hannibal's caliber yeah uh, let's check in with John who is back up uh at the wall and he uh is eulogizing Rob talking about how uh Rob was so good at everything and sometimes he hated him because he was so good at everything especially uh, girls. And Sam says, well, sometimes I, I hate you, John. Like, well, excuse me, Sam. <laughs> you, you know, I'm off? here. Like, you're talking to me right now. Like Rob can't hear me. I can hear you. Yeah. And like, it's just, it's yeah, it is a little uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a little uncomfortable. Like, you're better than me at everything. I mean, except reading like, okay. All right, Sam. All right. You done? Yeah, but I mean, at that point, I think it's like John's kind of like, oh, I guess that's true. I am better than you at everything <laughs> except, except reading. Uh, so John's going to go and he's going to speak in front of the current. Yeah, he's talking to the current leadership here at the Night's Watch. And it's not really a group that's in his favor. Uh, it's Alistair Thorne. It's Jano Slint. Maester Eamon is cool. But like the two other top dogs are really anti Jon Snow. Uh, it's it's a great scene in retrospect right that you know john is going to tell them the full true true he's going to give them the full accounting of the wildlings that he was traveling with and how he knows their ways and he speaks their language a little bit better now and understands their customs and he knows their battle plan and he lays it out in vivid detail it's gonna be the greatest fire the north has ever seen they're gonna attack us from the front and then this small pack of wildlings is gonna attack castle black from the back uh and that's the full truth and he's gonna get a pass from maester Eamon and uh, both Jano Slint and Alistair Thorne are going to be mad about that, but they're ultimately going to go with it. They should have trusted their gut uh, because these two guys are going to end up super dead <laughs> because of Jon Snow. Right. Well, Jon Snow also gives up probably more information than he needs to, uh, including that uh, not only did he hang out with the free folk, he also laid with a wildling girl. It was not unlike when Chunk uh, got caught in the Goonies and started uh, <laughs> revealing all of his other information that he didn't have uh, to. The worst thing I did! The worst is I stabbed Gord half-hand and he went like, <laughs> Uh, and then uh, this was, uh, when I was eight, I sheep shifted Sansa's bed, and, and then I got caught by old man. And, and, and. <laughs> oh my god, old Nan as Mama Fratelli now is just stuck in my head. Or I guess it'd be more like probably like Septim or Dane. Uh. That's more of the Mama Fratelli of uh, of House Stark. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, he's giving them like the full download on everything he's done. But this is, again, like, the, you know what? We were really mad at Jon Snow at the end of season seven when he, um, he like, he refuses uh, Cersei in the, in the big scene when they all get together and they're all trying to align against um, the White Walkers. And Cersei's like, all right, I'll do it. But when we're done... Promise me you're not going to pick a side between me and Daenerys. He's like, no, I picked Daenerys. And everyone's like, John, no, don't. Mm -hmm. But it's because Jon Snow can't help but tell you all of his truths. He's a stupid he Stark. He, he is a stupid Stark. Even though he's a he is his, he is his uncle's nephew, for sure. <laughs> Yeah. And Maester Eamon says he was telling the truth. Maester Eamon knows. Yeah. And uh, they ask him how. He says because he grew up in King's Landing. Because I yeah. don't think we realize yet uh, that he's a Targaryen too. Well, I, th I think we know that at we this do? point. I forget. Yeah, what. I'm pretty sure. Know. It's all blending together already. Yeah, this whole exercise is for nothing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> We're um, having fun in the moment, yeah, but I'm sure. nothing. We're not collecting any of it. Uh, Lady Elena is having a necklace contest of uh, <laughs> find me the finest necklace in the land. Whoever finds the best necklace, Marjorie will wear it. And then you get to keep the second best necklace. 
Uh, yeah, and we know that Lady Elena is going to have uh, some fascination with jewelry at this moment in time as she is participating in the plot to uh, to take it to, to Joffrey to get this guy out of here. Uh, so I thought that that was fun to, to watch this back. Like, oh, yeah, she's going to have like a poisoned piece of jewelry coming our way in just a little while. And so here she is, her first scene of the of the season. It's kind of like lightly foreshadowing Elena's role in the Joffrey assassination. And here comes Brienne and we get to see another time where Lady Elena must get these amazing scouting reports on people because we always see her reacting to a person like, oh, I heard about you. And, it, you know, a lot of times it's with Tyrion and with Varys. Ah, you didn't live up to my expectations. Tywin lived up to the expectations. But I think that Brienne perhaps exceeded the expectations. <laughs> yeah, She's like, oh, my God, you are marvelous. You are absolutely singular. Mm -hmm. Uh, She is immediately just like standing Brienne of Tarth very hard. Stannising. She she is. is, No, we don't want to talk about Stannis. Stannis is a a forbidden topic. Yes. And we see Brienne. She takes a walk with Marjorie and she says, hey, look, it was uh, this shadow figure with Stannis's face. Er, I still don't remember Stannis's face on the shadow figure, uh, but whatever. And she vows to, you know, uh, avenge Renly. And Marjorie's like, no, 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 we're not doing that anymore. Joffrey's the king. Right. But I mean, this is this is nice because Brienne is calling her shot here. It's only going to be, you know, two full seasons before she uh, is able to to execute Stannis Baratheon and execute on her promise for vengeance. So good on you, Brienne, for calling the shot and letting Marjorie know what's up. Okay, Um, Jamie is planning out the security with Marin Trant and Joffrey and that uh, they are talking about what they're going to do. And Joffrey is just talking about how uh, he saved the city and really just patting himself on the back. And Marin Trant is also just uh, not really just what Jamie has to say. No, because Jamie is trying to excuse Marin Trant from being Joffrey's number one dude. And Marin Trant has a good gig and he doesn't really want to give that up. And he certainly doesn't want to give that up to the one armed man or the one handed man. And Joffrey is giving Jamie some crap about it as well. Um, uh, we, we kind of yara yara past it, but there's a great shot transition from, uh, from Marjorie and Brienne walking in the courtyard and there's this statue of King. Joffrey with his crossbow uh, that just like segues so perfectly with Joffrey striking a very similar pose, just looking like such a little, little, little shit. Uh, and I'm appreciating the moments like that right now, knowing that we are, uh, you know, next podcast is our final Joffrey podcast. You know, we'll have my guess for like a hot second in the one afterwards or a very cold second uh, in the in the very next episode after after next week. But we're like really close to the end of the Joffrey era. Doesn't it feel like he was like having rewatched all of these seasons now? Like it's a really kind of limited amount of time with Joffrey. Yeah, but he was the worst. He was the worst. And so it's just like the impact crater of just how awful Mm -hmm. he was. Like really is the thing that you that you remember. And he's really horrible to Jamie, who is his biological father here in this scene where he's going through the book and he looks at the uh, Sir Arthur Dane and his and yeah, like, uh, uh, oh, he's got all this stuff and four pages for Sir Duncan. But then he gets to Jamie's page. He's like, oh, look at this. It's almost nothing <laughs> about you. Okay, yeah. There's nothing here. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Then you're only you're 40 years old and you only have one hand. Are you going to write it yourself? That's going to be challenging. <laughs> yeah. And then he, this is where he says, uh, yeah. And you got captured. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. He's horrible. He's horrible. But, yeah. Josh, I wanted to know, do you think that this scene was impactful on Jamie Lannister where we see him going off at the end of season seven to destination unknown in the north? And do you think that this is weighing on Jamie Lannister in terms of what will be written about him in maybe not the specific book, but sort of like what will his legacy be? 
Yeah, I think that legacy is huge with Jamie. And for the vast majority of the time we have known him and certainly the way he arrives in Game of Thrones, he is super sarcastic and it's like a, you know, a, a shield that he is wielding in order to keep people away from realizing that he's very bummed out that his reputation is that of the Kingslayer. Uh, when he feels like he saved everybody in King's Landing, uh, and instead people just remember him as the guy who stabbed the king in the back. And so I wonder if it's, if it's more about like, he wants to be, um, you know, if, if it's, it, does he want to be remembered differently? Is that why he is charging off into battle against the white walkers? Or is he now at a point where that stuff doesn't matter as much as doing the right thing is what matters. Um, but I think that legacy has been a very big part of the Jamie Lannister character. Certainly this scene with the book, um, helps to stress that. Uh, but I, I, I don't know how much he cares about that by the time that we're seeing him charge off in season seven. I think it might just be like he has finally reached a point where he knows that just the right thing is the right thing. And that's just what you have to do. OK, so we're going to check back in with Danny and Miss and we see them uh, heading towards Marine. And uh, I guess we have a little bit of a check in with new Dario and Danny just to make sure they have chemistry and they do and Dario has some flowers that's great moving on <laughs> what you know what do we want to talk about here okay. want to spend 10 minutes on the dusk rose mm-hmm. the harpies gold the other shitty plants that we don't even get a name for <laughs> moving on oh, was that a blue bonnet that he had <laughs> yeah Charlie <laughs> So we then see a, a mile marker and uh, not a good one. Uh, there's a girl and the harpies, the slavers, they've put her up there to put her as a mile marker. Danny doesn't like it. How does Jorah know it's 163 miles from here to Marine? Yeah, that's a very that's a very specific number. Uh, is there something on the marker itself oh, that tells you that tells you uh, how many markers away from Marine you are? Mm-hmm. Because if not, then yeah, that's that's either, like a genius. Yeah. either impressive or he's just like he doesn't want to tell her that he doesn't have the answer. So he's just like uh, 163. Right. Uh, Danny is going to take a good look at every single one of their faces to uh, burn that into her memory. Uh, she will ultimately put the slavers up on uh, these uh, crucifixes, right? I believe that that is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is that is how my memory recalls it. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, she already is so out on slavery. It is her least favorite of the things. Um, but I think that the fact that she is going to like look into the eyes of all of the people who have been um, who have been killed in this way and really tortured in this way, uh, that's only going to reinforce her disdain for this practice and this institution. And that's just gonna it's gonna keep her in Mirene for quite a bit longer yeah so we see now jamie and brianne have a a bit of a a catch-up sesh here in king's landing and brianne is uh not thrilled with jamie no uh because jamie had promised that he would uh he would save the stark girls and all of that uh and he's really not living up to that like he you know he's finally got his first update on what's happened to Arya. no one has seen her so he believes Arya to be dead uh sansa is now a lannister that makes things complicated also catelyn stark is dead so who are we sending them back to anyway yeah speaking of sansa she is out there in the godswood and she's hanging out. She's not praying there. She just wants to be left alone. But here comes Sir Dantos and she has to have a real sort of like a he's like, hey, Sansa, remember me? He's like, who? Who are you? Remember that one <laughs> scene in season two where I was getting drunk and you saved me in the season two premiere? I guess so. It really, it doesn't it's like, really. Yeah. Well. It's like, no, no, I, I was don't. The previously on. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's been a while. It's been a uh, it's been a minute. Uh Sir Dantos though, he is he is back and he uh is saying thank you. You know, I'm a fool now, but I'm a living fool thanks to you and he wants to give her a present. Mhm. Yeah. 
He says, wear this necklace. This was once belonged to my mother. We were once a hot up and coming family in Westeros, but then we were all fat and drunk. And so I guess that didn't work out. But please, uh, you know, wear it with pride. And he doesn't give her any specific instructions about, hey, just whatever you do, make sure you wear it to Joffrey's wedding. I mean, it, it is a miracle that this plan worked. A hundred percent, because this is the necklace that's going to contain the poison that they're right. going to use to kill Joffrey, right? right? Yeah. You would think that, like, send Loris, you know, like, send somebody that Sansa really likes, like, have Loris show up and be like, Sansa, I'm so sorry about everything that's been happening lately. Uh, I'm sorry that we can't be together. I'm very sorry about what has happened to your family. Here is a thing that I am giving to you just to let you know that you'll always be friends with the Tyrells. Like, we will mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. be like good and she'll be like yes oh man Loris well, is the best no but I get that you want to use Dantos because he's like the perfect monkey's paw and we see in two episodes from now that little finger will you know Off end up, you know shooting him with the crossbow in the face like, yeah I, I gave her the necklace just like you wanted and so we see here though that I mean, and maybe Littlefinger gave these instructions to Dantos and then he just uh, forgot because he's a drunk. But I think he really did say, oh, and promise me you'll wear these to the royal wedding. That was, you know, my mom's dying wish was that somebody wears this necklace to a royal wedding. But that's what it's suspicious that like this drunk dude has just like shown. I was like, definitely wear this at this exact thing. But like they're really banking on Sansa finding herself fully and thoroughly charmed by this guy is uh, it's a it's a it's a tall order, I think, considering, uh, you know, who Sir Dantos has become. Yeah. Hell of a gamble. Big gamble. But, you know, much like Dario and Grey Worm. Littlefinger and the Queen of Thorns are also gamblers. Mm -hmm. I forget, does the Westeros CSI, are they able to piece together that Joffrey died from a poison that was in the necklace that Sansa wore? Well, I guess we'll find out. Do not recall. Do not really remember that. Like, do not remember painting of Sansa made at the wedding of like, oh, see, she was wearing that necklace with one jewel missing, and then uh, obviously this was the poison that was used for to take out Joffrey. Yeah, I think uh, it's it's not impossible, but just don't remember. Yeah. Okay. Um, Arya and the Hound. Uh, this will be the final setup of the episode. Uh, lots of carnage and basically pillaging going on all over Westeros in the wake of the War of Five Kings. Yeah, uh, I thought that this was interesting where uh, the Hound and Arya, they're like walking, you know, they're riding through on a single horse. Uh, it will it will be two horses, much like two swords by the end of this episode. Uh, and Arya is, uh, you know, like, why aren't we like looting anybody? It's like, I don't have any money, but I'm not a thief. A man's got to have a code. It's like, didn't you steal all of that guy's uh, pork products mm-hmm. back in season three? You right. thieved. You were you were a thief. You're a pig thief, in fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we'll see him be stealing money from people. So maybe this was sort of like a New Year's resolution, new season resolution for the Hound. Yeah, yeah. I'm not a thief anymore. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I will not thieve again. And they spy on a guy and they end up saying, oh, hey, those are the guys from Harrenhal. Uh, they killed Lamy. They killed Lamy. What the fudge is a Lamy? Except yeah. he didn't say fudge. He said the F dash dash word. <laughs> yeah, it's like the Christmas story version. Yes. And uh, we find out, yes, he has the sword. He has needle. That's the name of the sword. I thought that was really funny. So the hound is like, of course you named your sword. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. He, he, he thinks that only uh, stupid people. Uh, yeah. name their swords. See you next Tuesdays. Right. And I, I think, uh, I, I think it is cool to name your sword. If you're going to have a sword, you may as well name yeah. it. On the other hand, Joffrey thinks it's cool to name swords. So, yeah, but, but he's that, got a that, point. That, no, no, no. He, Joffrey is an idiot and he's bad at naming his swords, but that shouldn't condemn the entire practice. <laughs> like, don't let one bad apple spoil the whole bunch. We should uh, name our microphones. Mm. That's interesting. What would you name? Yeah, uh, I would name mine uh, Lady Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> 
In fact, it is official. My microphone's Lady name Wanda. is Lady Wanda. Yes. Yeah. How about yours? Widow's Whale. <laughs> I take it back. Naming things is stupid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they're going to go into the uh what would you call this place? The It's an inn. It's an inn. inn. Going to hang out at the yeah. inn and uh they're going to be served and you know having a nice time and they are spotted. They are spotted. Uh Poliver is going to recognize the hound. Uh he's gonna recognize the hound for uh you know, he's a he's a hard character to to miss. Like if you've got even passing awareness of who this guy is. And he's like, Oh, you should be hanging out with us. We're just like robbing people and killing people and like forcing people into servitude and uh all this awful stuff, and it's been great, no one can stop us, and it would be really fun. We've got the king's colors on and the hound says fudge the king mm-hmm. except he doesn't say fudge he says the f dash dash word and when he does everybody in the room is like okay it's about to go down mm-hmm. right and uh we find out that these men have been serving with the hound's brother uh, the mountain again a lot this episode is so well done uh, a lot of setup about the mountain here uh, that he's going to uh loom large uh by the end of the season uh in more ways than one and uh you know he's just into torture 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 he really makes it not fun he really uh yeah yeah very much so uh but he is in this moment he is going to be the hound is going to be a real badass and Mm -hmm. he is going to you know he's going to be like i'm gonna i'm gonna have a chicken and the guy's like oh you can't you can't really have a chicken unless i can have your chicken and he's talking about aria uh and the hound's gonna say like okay well now it's two chickens the polyver's like you can't have two chickens Mm -hmm. this isn't gonna work out for you what do you think is gonna happen yeah and the hound's like i think i'm gonna get every single chicken Big every single chicken scene. in this place a lot of stuff going down and uh we see the hound takes out a bunch of guys and aria gets to get some uh vengeance gets to cross a name off the list josh this is something that aria does or at least has done at this point with how she like kills people uh she likes very like slowly like puts swords into people i think i feel like we've talked about this but like the way that like she like stabs the first guy it's just like very like kind of like slowly and awkwardly and she does the same thing to poliver and she like gives him like the whole kind of like kill bill vengeance speech she recites everything that he said to lami before lami died and like she's kind of enjoying it yeah and the show is really doing a good job at this point of like setting up the fact that Arya is not well. Mm-hmm. To be fair, with a Needle, other than just like shiving people with it, I, I mean, I think that is kind of how you have to kill people with Needle, where you just have to like uh, puncture them. And then like she doesn't have a broadsword where she can swing it. And like if you if you swung Needle, like I don't think you could behead a person with Needle. Yeah. So I think that, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that that would be difficult. You just need to like yeah. puncture them and then let them bleed out. That's like uh, you know, as as a, as a descriptive name, needle. It is very descriptive <laughs> indeed. Right. And she resets the exact way that Poliver took out Lami and says, "A uh, fine little blade. Maybe I'll pick my teeth with it." Justice yeah. for Lami. Justice for Lamy, just what everybody had been asking for. Lamy has been avenged. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if anybody does not recall, Lamy was the kid who was it the second or the third episode of season two when we saw all of the uh, guards or the Lannister men come and take people that they were on their way to go up to the wall and uh then they wanted to know who was gendry who was gendry and then Arya pointed to the now deceased lami yeah uh so Talking th- lami. It's, 
Yes, you know, she has a long... <laughs> she has a long memory, Arya Stark. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's something that this scene is really expressing rather well. Uh, you know, the, the dedication to the list that she has developed of all the people that she's killed. Uh, but not only that, in this moment, she is going to, like, recite word for word exactly what this guy said when he when he killed Lamy. Uh, so it's just her commitment to, to vengeance and, like, the extent of the trauma that has been uh, leveled upon her. It's, it's really highlighted here, and it's obviously something that's just going to get stressed even more the further down the story we go. Okay. Josh, uh, here we are. We're at the end of episode one of season four. Any big picture thoughts? Anything that we did not really get to uh, harp on? Harpy on. Yeah. No, I, I, I love this episode. Really great episode. Setting up a lot of stuff. Um, love, 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 love how the, you know, first scene of the, of the whole season is really just setting up Lannister supremacy and just how hard that is going to go down. Like, even though the Lannisters are going to remain in power, uh, by the end of the season, they're going to sustain major losses starting very quickly and then going all the way through the very end. Like, that whole family is going to be up ended so yeah uh, there's just there's a lot of great foreshadowing that's happening here uh where you know that's kind of the the red wedding of this season you know it's it's harder to to like name it and really classify it but just the fall uh you know the fall of house lannister is really about to start here and it's it's set up so beautifully in this episode would you classify season four as a self-destruction of house lannister I think that that is, uh, yeah, I, I think that just as a, as the, the longer arc for these characters, I think that, that is something that's very fitting, but certainly within this season. Yeah. I think like it's been the seasons of the Lannister for a little while here of them, like having these improbable victories and unlikely successes. And finally, uh, all of the chickens that the hound, uh, was eating at the inn are going to come home to roost Damn. and it's, it's going to be, it's going to be glorious. Okay. Josh, uh, do we have an MVP of the season for premiere hmm you're gonna give it the, the hound Aria? the hound the hound maybe i don't yeah. know Arya, Arya, and the hound again i don't want to rank them uh but like i think uh, the two the twosome the the duo yeah. of Arya and the hound uh i believe they are going to go on in season four to win the first uh two swords award for mm-hmm. best on-screen duo at the throners it's a good uh, run for the, them yeah, so uh, yeah. back in 2014. And really, after so much uh, darkness in season three, that uh, the season four premiere does end on a high note for a Stark, really for the first time in uh, a bit. Now that we... She gets of, a like, horse. Yeah. Uh, she gets a horse. She has a big smile on her face. Uh, the hound is eating the chicken. Uh, she has needle. So, uh, I mean, the episode, like, it does end on an optimistic note, which has been very different than, you know, what we've seen for much of what's going on in Westeros. We've seen Danny end on high notes, uh, you know, quite a bit in season three. But uh, to see a Stark ending on a high note is, uh, you know, uh, pretty nice to see. I mean, John had a nice moment at the end uh, when he got, got to the wall, when he, or yeah. when he climbed to the top of the wall. But other than that, it has been, you know, few and far between in terms of you know nice moments for the Starks. Good things tend to not happen to good people on mm-hmm. Game of Thrones. No, De- definitely, definitely a theme. Uh, but yeah, no, this episode is just super great. Um, easily uh, one of the not not just the best premiere of Game of Thrones, but I think that this is this is a really high quality episode. Okay, Josh. Next week, next time, it's the Purple Wedding. It's Ooh, the yeah. end of Joffrey, and I am yes. very excited for this. I am too. Uh, yeah, the you know, and the rose. I'm I'm so happy that we're here in season four because I'm just thinking about some of the episodes that we have coming up, and there are so many good ones. And uh, as soon as this next episode, it's just going to be spectacular. Yeah, it's going to be it's it's going to be a very very good time and such like elaborate production value too on that purple wedding. Uh, so it's it's going to be really fun to revisit for sure. It's the royal wedding, and you're all invited coming up next week on the Game of Thrones rewatch. So yeah, looking except for Marjorie dad right like didn't he sell some like photos or information about the wedding and like he's in a big fight with yeah. marjorie right now yeah so don't be looking uh too much for mace tyrell 
No, I think Mace Tyrell's going to show up. <laughs> they're going to invite him. Maybe. We'll see. Hold on. We'll hope. see. Okay. We'll see. Josh, uh, of course, uh, check out what Josh Wiggler is doing for uh, Westworld in its amazing second season. Westworld uh, just delivered its uh, best episode of the series, to my mind, this past wow. week. And I'm very excited uh, to talk with Joe Garfine about all of that on our podcast, which drops on Thursday mornings. Uh, so we will be discussing Riddle of the Sphinx coming your way, uh, dropping in uh, in, in just uh, in, in very short order, May 17th, the morning of. Keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Okay. Of course, uh, I also have uh, Fear the Walking Dead coverage, uh, which did not have its best episode of a series. Uh, oh, this I thought week. it was alright. It was okay. It was fine. It was, it was fine. fine. I liked the moat. The moat was cool. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Alright, so uh, be sure to check that out All on postshowrecaps.com Follow Josh Wiggler on Twitter He's at Round Howard Take care everybody, have a good one Bye